0: But in the future, every high dose product will probably have a low dose skew to complement and appeal to everyone because that's the reality of it. You know, you have a whole beer category of different percentages and things like that. Why not the same with cannabis? So we will see that. But right now we have like two very different markets. But I think that's proving the point that a lot of us who worked in the beverage space have always felt there is something for everyone here. Different flavor profiles, different dosages, whether you want it in a shop format, a stick pack or ready to drink there's going to be something for everybody. And I think that's why this category in particular is so promising.
1: You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Tarabi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Tarabi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And an exciting, a very exciting milestone is happening this week. My brand, Restart, is celebrating five, five years in business, and I couldn't be more proud or more grateful to hit this achievement. When we launched this business, we were doing so at a time where CBD was very little known and on the cusp of hemp's federal legalization, I had just gotten laid off of my full-time job as director of marketing for an agency. And I was really exposed to CBD as a result of my car accident that I was in. If you want more details, you can go listen to some of those earlier episodes where I share about my story. But we launched Restart on a whim, not knowing what the industry was going to expand into and not knowing fully how long this runway was going to be. But when we originally launched, we were only selling CBD products. And then, of course, over the years as Delta 8, And other hemp-derived THCs hit the market. We expanded to offer that. We sell everything from topicals, pet products, edibles, vape, smokables, and even cannabis beverages, which more to come on that for sure, especially given today's topic. We've navigated through two legislative sessions. I've gotten to lobby and advocate at a state level here in Texas, as well as advocate and lobby in D.C. at a federal level. We've also navigated countless regulatory updates, smokable hemp bans, Delta 8 bans, other bans. And through it all, we've maintained our leadership in the Texas cannabis market. And as a native Austinite, I really just truly feel like I have a pinch me moment every single day getting to do what we're doing because I grew up loving the cannabis plant. And when my accident happened, I became more aware and fell even more in love with the cannabis plant, transitioning from recreation to truly looking at it as a wellness and medicine and being able to make that impact not only for me and my family, but ultimately for our consumers through our products and for our community as we lean into educating and driving awareness for safe cannabis access in Texas and beyond. This podcast would not be made possible without the ongoing support I have from my family and team at Restart. And really, it gives me the skin in the game to come to you every week to speak from experience of building my brand from the ground up. So I really couldn't be more proud, honored, grateful, excited to share that Restart has hit five years in business. And I say, let's keep going and can't wait to celebrate another five years. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support of me, for your support of the podcast, for hitting play and for tuning in every week. Now, today's episode is on cannabis drinks. Like I mentioned, there is a lot to unpack here. I feel like this is a topic that we've been discussing on the podcast periodically. It's clearly more than just cannabis drinks. I think it opens up a whole new segment of consumers. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff getting into the hemp derived side of the conversation about where these beverages can go. And I also just really think that this is an untapped conversation for where the future of cannabis is going and driving towards for reasons I mentioned and other things that you will hear in the podcast with today's guest. So before we get into that episode conversation, I want to chat about an event that just wrapped up It was the Cannabis Drinks Expo. They held one in San Francisco and then the week after it was in Chicago. And I think it's important to highlight what were some of the conversations that were had at that conference and how does that tie into today's guest and her experience and what she's seeing. So these are just some of the top things that, again, you'll hear us discuss in more detail in the episode, but these were really big conversations happening at the Cannabis Drinks Expo. So first up, a big push is to see these low-dose THC beverages in the mainstream markets sold along beer and seltzers, etc. So think about grocery store placement, convenience stores, and even restaurants and bars offering low-dose sessionable cannabis. I know, for me in Texas, we already have the accessibility of some of those products thanks to hemp-derived. And for other markets, I know it's super unfathomable to think that you could go to a restaurant and order a THC beverage instead of wine. But that is a really big trend and direction that this side of the industry, the beverages side of the cannabis industry, is really wanting to see happen. And in some regards, we're already seeing it happen. Certainly more to play out there. We will also get into this discussion, but my favorite topic, obviously, clearly, is the ongoing battle between cannabis and hemp-derived cannabinoids. Today's guest is going to speak on this throughout the episode, but she brings up some really great points that express why we should be working together instead of against each other. And, hot take, she thinks that we wouldn't be seeing beverages make as big of a bang as we have, and certainly not as fast as we have. Like, for example, what is going on in Minnesota without the introduction of hemp-derived. So again, just keep your eyes and ears open. I think most of my listeners are are pretty open-minded considering how I show up to this podcast every week. But maybe you're new here. Maybe you don't know how I like to approach things. My attitude is always, let's talk about it. I don't think there's anything explicit to say one is right or wrong one is superior or insuperior. I think the market, I think the consumers drive that. And I think we're seeing that play out in real time right now with these hemp-derived cannabinoids, especially the beverage side of that equation, right? Another takeaway was on the craft beverage side of cannabis beverages. And this is interesting because again, it kind of ties in how do you go from an isolated cannabinoid to something more full-bodied and think about strain-specific, whole barrel, single plant, similar to a distillate approach We talk about this more in detail in the episode. So again, I'm mentioning these because these were topics that were brought up at this conference on a big scale, on a big platform. And so to see it being reiterated in the conversation, of course, my guest was at the conference. She plays a very major role in the cannabis beverage conversation. I know these are very top of mind for her, but just for you guys to understand some of the conversations that are happening and where you, I, we might fit into the discussion, right? Truly, this was an informing episode for me because I both consume cannabis beverages. In fact, my fridge is stocked right now with some low-dose THC cans that I can pop when I want to have a nice little afternoon buzz, so to speak. And I also sell these beverages. I am working on a couple of other fun stuff in the pipeline in regards to cannabis beverages. So I will share more of that when those products, I should say products and brands launch. But I, again, I'm watching this in real time unfold, especially as a hemp operator on the hemp side. And because we're seeing big brands like Can, who have brought up multiple times, have their regulated product lines in these regulated states, as well as their hemp-derived product lines launching direct-to-consumer. It is happening. Brands are recognizing the opportunity, and my guest is one of the leaders having that conversation and trying to bring these topics to the forefront. If you have something to add to the conversation, please reach out and let me know. Like I said, I love learning. I love different opinions. I love seeing where things are going and how people are interpreting what's happening, whether it's interpreting the regulation, the legislation, learning from the consumers and and implementing something new and interesting into maybe the deliverability of something. But please always feel like you can reach out to me, slide into those DMs. You can find me on Instagram at tobebluntpot. Now to finally introduce my guest, super excited to have Diana Eberlein. Currently, she leads marketing and business development at Source Technology. They are a leading water-soluble technology for infusing cannabis beverages, food, supplements, and personal care products. Think CPG, consumer packaged goods, or as I like to say, cannabis packaged goods. She leverages her 10 years experience in entertainment marketing, specializing in brand development, experiential marketing, celebrity partnerships, et cetera. And Diana develops the strategy behind all events PR and advertising for Source. Source currently powers leading THC hemp-derived Delta 9 and CBD-infused beverages, including brands like I mentioned, Can, Mad Tasty, Leisure Town, Rebel Rabbit, and more. And lastly, super important as well, Diana recently became the chair of the Cannabis Beverage Association beginning of 2023. And that organization focuses on beverage category awareness, government and regulatory affairs, and representing infused beverages across the US. Diana is also a member of the Cannabis Marketing Association and the Forbes Agency Council. She shared so candidly about what trends she's seeing in the market, how her brands are taking those trends and implementing them and making them their own, as well as what consumers are actually consuming and how that might vary from a regulated market to a more open, accessible hemp market. And like I said, this is just really interesting information. I'm a little biased, but I think it's also part of the industry where you can see cannabis going into a non-traditional consumer's hand. A can is something that is so accessible, so non-threatening, so familiar. And it's exciting to see cannabis be introduced into that medium. And so I just can't wait for you to tune into this episode and hear Diana's insights directly. Without further ado, please help me by lighting one up and let's welcome Diana to the show.
0: Hi, I'm Diana Eberline. I'm the VP of Marketing and Business Development at Source Technology, and I'm also the chair of the Cannabis Beverage Association. I became a infused beverage enthusiast, if you will, about eight years ago when I moved to Seattle, Washington which was one of the first legal markets. And I had moved from a non-legal market. So everyone I knew consumed. And I was a dare baby who I never touched cannabis. And I thought, must be something to this. I considered myself a human guinea pig, went to a dispensary, treated it like a field trip, left with things I needed and things I didn't need. Didn't know the questions to ask. And about three months of trial and error, which mostly error, to be honest, I actually found relief uh, and, and realized that cannabis could play a really big role in my life, just daily routine stuff, and thought about that first experience I had and how bad it was and how difficult it was for me to find relief and thought, there's some stuff I could do here. I could bring this as a passion and a career. Education and getting in front of people about how they can apply cannabis to their lives has become a passion and is my why behind why I stay in cannabis, because let's be honest, there's easier ways to make money. Uh And so I stuck with it. And beverage for me is a passion because I just think that it's the easiest way to get someone who's a little hesitant about cannabis to try cannabis. I think it's a a gateway, if you will, into trying uh, other remedies that are maybe more homeopathic. And we're used to beverage as a delivery method. We get up in the morning, we drink water. We all throughout the day consume beverage. I think ultimately people are used to beverage now being a functional functional product for them. Uh, We have collagen and protein and all sorts of things. Why not cannabis or any other herbal supplement? So it's become a real passion for me. We're really excited to see beverage having a moment and looking forward to talking with you a little bit more about beverage and all
1: things cannabis in the world. Yeah, I'm sincerely so happy to have you. My listeners have heard me discuss beverage on and off over the years as it's been creeping up as a more important topic and trend that is not just a trend, but really here to stay. But I think the trend part is figuring out the dosing, the side of the aisle, so to speak, if it's fair to say, is it marijuana derived? Is it hemp derived? And how those two meet in the middle? So before we get into some of that stuff, I know before we were recording or pressing we Cool, we were having a really great discussion. And so I know I'm just like teething it for the listeners. This is going to be a really interesting conversation because I'm already learning so much from you. So I appreciate you being here. But I would love to hear from you. What is Source in terms of what you do for your clients? Who are your clients? Maybe it's a specific client. I know you've done work with Can, Mad Tasty. So other really big names in the industry, you're not just supplying, I guess, materials is my understanding of what source is the component for, but you're not just supplying materials for beverages, although beverages, the main kind of category, I feel like the premier category right now. But we just love to hear from you the the full spectrum of what sources offerings are and where sources focusing their efforts right now.
0: Yeah. So at Source, we're water-soluble emulsion technology. So a better delivery method, if you will, for a more consistent experience through adjustables as well as topicals. So think of anything in a grocery store that's processed. We look at it as us providing an ingredient that could potentially be worked in traditional CPG as well as cannabis products. We chose to focus on cannabinoids because our application of what's traditional emulsion tech seemed to mitigate the flavor profile the best as well as the long-term stability. So when people are creating products and they're looking to have shelf lives of nine months, 12 months, our products generally are able to offer that, whether it's in beverage form or gummy or any other edible ingredient. Um, The taste profile is where we really shined and we entered the market in beverage. So everyone just thinks of source when it comes to beverages, but we also have solutions that can, again, mitigate that flavor profile for edibles, uh, topicals. There are some topicals that people end up tasting or makeup, things like that. And we're able to mitigate that herbal taste. We can also enhance it. There are people that really do wanna honor the plant. And so we can add those terpenes back in or work with minor cannabinoids to give a more functional effect. So we look at ourselves as an extension of our clients. So what do they wanna build? What are they building? And what's the best solution that we can offer? Our solutions come in powder and liquid form depending on what you're creating. Obviously with beverage is a liquid traditionally and ready to drink, but there are ready to mix products as well. And I think we're gonna see a big uh, rise in that just moving forward. Stick packs have always been a thing. And I think it's just a matter of time before consumers really wanna take these on the go with them. But then if you're making a gummy or an edible, like a brownie or a cookie, you're using powder ingredients. And that will have a longer shelf life. So we definitely have some powder options as well. We believe we have a lot of people at our company that are really passionate about beverage and edible in particular as just a safer ingestion method. Obviously, we know that there are people that are always going to smoke and always going to use dab rigs and those solutions. But we're looking to treat the consumers that are looking for something different or returning the cannabis and looking for an edible that isn't going to put them in a three to six hour stupor or longer.
1: Yeah. yeah, so unfortunately, I think all been there at some point in our cannabis uh, consumption journey. But you said some things that I want to drill in a little bit more on, specifically on the taste profile. At first, you were saying the way that the nano emulsion it performs it allows for covering or reduction, or you're just you're bringing the molecule size down enough. My listeners also know that I'm very much a marketer, and I know very smidge about the science side of sure. things. But the podcast has helped empower me, so I do understand better observability when it comes to nanoemulsion as well. But you were saying, obviously, it helps remove that flavor profile, the herby herbal flavor profile. But then you also said you're able to add it back in if there's a client or a profile. So when you said that, I was like, oh, so there isn't one that maybe is a trend or a preference. And so I'm curious what your observation is, what your take is, what you're seeing in the market, because I come from being a cannabis consumer for many years. I don't mind that flavor profile, but I can imagine perhaps a new consumer or maybe it's not a new consumer. Maybe there's another demographic where the consumer is. They just don't want that. I don't know if that's the maturity of the market and where things are going. And so I just don't know if there is any specific data or trends you're observing right now, if one is more popular than the other.
0: I would say it's really an even split right now. I think early on, particularly when the CBD beverage wave really hit, there was a lot of how do we have zero cannabis flavor in it? Because they were appealing to more of a can of curious, someone who's new to the cannabis space as a whole, I'm not really sure what CBD or hemp is. They're just getting familiar with it, and sometimes the taste was off-putting. Sometimes it was more the smell. So even though that, like, I really enjoyed the terpenes, I think that there there's something comforting about them. And I know a lot about the plant, so I think that's partially why I appreciate sure, that. Yeah. But you know, when you're new to something and you smell it and it's not familiar to you, that can be off-putting. So there were a lot of brands that mitigated the flavor and the smell of cannabis. I really think it ultimately depends on who your target consumer is. If you are going after the can of curious consumer, you likely don't want the flavor profile in there. And I think we're getting away from people being concerned, particularly when you're dealing with hemp 9 or THC, where there is an intoxicating effect. They're gonna know within seven to 10 minutes because of the onset of the water soluble tech that it's there or not. So they don't need the proof and the smell or the taste. But again, you can complement the flavor. You look at teas and certain beverages that do cater to a more herbaceous flavor profile. And there are flavors that are typically citrus. I would say that's why you see a lot of grapefruit out there. They play really well with the herbal notes of cannabis. So it just depends who is your target audience. You're going after someone who typically isn't consuming things that do have an herbal note or health and wellness sector. Definitely a little bit more open to that herbaceous note. When you're dealing with your traditional consumer who's using this to replace their glass of wine or beer or, or a white cloth, they might not want that herbaceous note. They want something just clean. So it really depends on your target consumer. But I would say it's split. I actually have come to really appreciate when people want to honor the plan and showcase it. But I can also understand people in my own family that are like, oh, we don't want to taste it. We know it's there. It's fine. And I get that. So I think there's room for both. And I think that's actually what allows for a lot of variety in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, I think that's obviously a great point and something I'm observing as well is it's very split. And I think I'm just trying to figure out what's going to win in the long term. I think having the full plant kind of expression is nice because that is, The plant, then at the same time, to your point, where you're trying to incorporate it into more of an everyday, daily thing. People who are maybe not coming from a history of being a cannabis smoker for 10, 12, 15, 20 plus years, they have no association to that or familiarity with that. And so I think you were saying that too, it's foreign for them. And so I can see where you're seeing that the festive brands like Can, where they've been very straight forward to market. We don't want to have this flavor profile. We want to focus on these other things and obviously finding waves of success with that. So Going into that train of thought, you and I were chatting before we were hitting record about this uptick in low dose beverages, obviously being very much driven by can, but that is contrasting with regulated, the majority of regulated markets. I don't want to be explicit and I certainly want to hear your take on it with higher dose it's wild to me. I will go to some dispensers. I remember being in Oklahoma a couple, like a year ago and and they had a hundred milligram lemonade. Just one full bottle of Keith soda was a hundred milligrams. So I'm thinking, oh my God, one, who's drinking the whole thing? Two, you're telling me you're going to get me to just take a sip and that's 10 milligrams. Like it's not realistic, but then at the same time you have value buyers who are wanting the higher strength because they are breaking it down or mixing it in with other beverages. Versus then this very big popularity of microdose beverages. So can really kick the conversation off in the regulated side, pushing back, saying, no, users do want a sessionable experience. They want to be able to have one, two, three, four of these in the span of a couple hours with their friends, enjoying whatever the case may be. But now you're also seeing that same approach being applied on the hemp side. And I believe it's not because... They're taking after the session ability. They're doing it because the law limits how much THC on a weight basis they can have. So I'm just trying to connect those dots of what is the market really opening up and what are you seeing? And what are we, what are we like navigating against? Is it the regulations? Are we navigating against the consumer's wants and wishes? Is it a combination of all of the above? Combination and what's of all gonna the above, win, right?
0: <laughs> we can't make it easy in cannabis. It has to be a no. of all of the above. You've got a mix of things going on uh, and Hemp D9 does add a layer to that conversation. I now live in Virginia as you and I were talking about, so I'm on the East Coast, but I lived in Washington before. Washington is an OG legacy market at this point. California, Oregon, and Washington, if you look at their beverage sales with the exception of can and a handful of others, all of them, the top 10 SKUs are 100 milligram, Two-ounce shots, six-ounce beverages, 12-ounce bottles, like you said, what you saw in in Oklahoma. That is because that is right now who is walking into a dispensary in Washington. It is more, quite frankly, that's what the market's demanding there. There are, don't get me wrong, low-dose consumers in those markets or people that want to be low-dose consumers in those markets. However, the product moves so much quicker when you have 100 milligram products in those markets that some of the beverage companies can't keep up to even produce the lower dose SKUs. Plus, then you have to educate a whole other level of consumer. And it's someone who maybe isn't coming into a dispensary. And that's because beverage is not your typical consumption method for a a cannabis consumer. When I was in college, I don't know anyone that was like, you know we could make a beverage. No, you made a gummy, you made a brownie, maybe a lollipop, that was very popular, or you just smoked. And that those were your options. Beverage wasn't something that people think of as a delivery method for this. My parents aren't thinking about going into a dispensary to get the beverages that I like or that I've recommended or introduced them to. It doesn't mean there aren't dispensaries that appeal to them or would be nice. It's just not on their list of things to do. They got the grocery store, the the dry cleaner. They're not walking into a dispensary on a regular basis to just explore. So that's why you see California... um, Oregon and Washington really focus on high beverage product or high dose products at, on the beverage side. Now, we'll slip over to the East Coast. You have Massachusetts. They implemented a dose cap. What I love about this, and I'm an ingredient supplier with source, like the more milligrams we sell, the better technically for our business model. However... We know that the growth for beverage is really in the sessionability and the mass market coming to cannabis and adopting it and working it into their daily routine. So that's not a medical or high dose consumer. That is someone who's replacing their white claw beer, glass of wine with a can, like you mentioned. Massachusetts is a market that I think is actually training the consumer to look at cannabis differently. It isn't, what's the price per milligram they're looking at it from an experience standpoint. And the idea, I'm not having, maybe they'll just have one, but the idea of this is a buildable, controllable high. I can drink this at a barbecue, just the way other people are drinking beer. I don't have to step away and have a joint. My brownies aren't stashed away somewhere so that someone doesn't eat them. It's put with the adult beverages and taken care of that way. So you have that. Then you have what's going on with the hemp 9 space. So you have this market where they are tapped at a dose or at a weight. And as a result, their dosages are typically lower. A lot of these products are also being manufactured by brewers. So in Minnesota, what started was they were serving this in their tap rooms. They're not looking for a one and done. They want people to come and have a few, stay and hang out, order some food. Same with the restaurants. So they're not serving. It would be like if if every time you went to a restaurant, you got shots of tequila just instantly. That's generally not how it happens. But it... They are looking for the sessionability. So again, you have these consumers being trained on the idea that it's not about getting blasted. It's about having a nice buzz, floating through and finding other ways that this can be applied to your lifestyle. So I like what's happening, but again, it's a mix. With Source, we have beverages that are 100, we have a 100 milligram be- beverages. Those are your top performing SKUs on the West Coast. And then we've got a bunch of clients on the East Coast or in the Hempty Nine space doing, what max, maybe 25 milligrams a can. Uh, and I would say a majority of the beverages I see out there right now, even in the legal rec markets, you're seeing those five to 10 milligram on the East Coast or even lower so that people can, again, make them more sessionable. If you are from traditional beverage, you know that the idea is to have them consume multiple beverages, not just a one and done. So they're designing their products that way to make them more sessionable. But it is different just looking at the two markets, just how different the consumers are that they're targeting. And I like to put it as when Uncle Arnie's in West Coast, great example, California, top skew. Everyone's familiar with that brand in California. They just launched a low-dose product and they've been very vocal about the fact that right now, if we want to make money, we need a high-dose product on the market. But in the future, every high-dose product will probably have a low-dose skew to complement and appeal to everyone because that's the reality of it. They have a whole beer category of different percentages and things like that. Why not the same with cannabis? So we will see that. But right now we have two very different markets. but I think that's proving the point that a lot of us who worked in the beverage space have always felt there is something for everyone here. Different flavor profiles, different dosages, whether you want it in a shop format, a stick pack or ready to drink, there's going to be something for everybody. And I think that's why this category in particular is so promising.
1: Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress Body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans Juice said, Customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here, also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8 and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to RestartCBD.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of 2B Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. You've got my brain gears spinning rapidly because I think that is a question a lot of people have is, where is this leading? Like, where is this going? And so I just to reiterate it, you painted a really great picture of the dispensaries. Maybe it's not exclusive to dispensaries in general, but certainly some markets, especially when it comes to the legacy side of the equation, they are going into a dispensary and they are wanting to get the best bang for their buck. They're wanting to get this high dose because maybe they don't want to go to the dispensary every day. To your point, then contrasting that with, hell yeah, I'm a brewery who's now able to sell low dose THC products. And I want you to be able to sit and enjoy and being able to have multiple of these. And so those are very different. It could be the same consumer potentially, but it's a different place that they're consuming. Yes, it's a different environment. And so that's where I'm now like, huh, okay, that makes sense. But as we work towards this reconciliation between hemp-derived and marijuana-derived, depending on how it's sold, how it's sourced, and what the product it's being put into, ultimately, that's where I'm still, just with lots of question marks, wondering, is it gonna be a liquor store, convenience store model where you have to go to the dispensary to get the high dose, whether it's 50, 100 milligrams, plus whatever that cap is or that range is, And then you, yes, will be able to find these low-dose beverages, not only in the breweries, but like you were saying, in a grocery store, at a restaurant. It is so weird. I feel like you're one of the only people who can really appreciate this. When I talk about what's happening here in Texas, I was just in Colorado, and Colorado, for whatever reason, has not. Gotten on board with beverages. They're not, very no. limited. There's one major operator and they're more on the higher dose side. I think when I went to the dispensary, it was like 10 milligrams or nothing. And I'm like, I don't want 10 milligrams right yep. now. I want a low dose sessional beverage. I want to go sit at a park and enjoy this casually. And so I started having conversations with people who were in Colorado, both at these dispensaries and just the peers. I was there for a cannabis marketing conference. And telling them what you can do in Austin. It's no, marijuana isn't legal, but because of hemp, I can go to my local Royal Blue Grocery. I can go to my local Quickie Picky convenience store, and they're selling can is on the shelves. There's a couple of Texas operators who've introduced beverages, and they're in the two to five, 10 maybe is the max, depending on the size of the beverage. And I don't love that they aren't asking for my ID. I think there is some regulation that we should be enforcing just to continue to ensure that we're trying to take this sincerely and we don't want this in the hands of minors. But that aside, I was able to just go grab a drink in Austin, Texas and get high sessionably on a Thursday afternoon when I was out downtown. And people were like, no, that that's not possible. How is that happening? I'm like, are you asleep? Do you not realize this is happening whether you like it or not? And Obviously, the industry is very split on hemp derived in general, but I'm just trying to highlight the point again. It's not that this is right or wrong. It's this is happening. I know before we were recording, you were mentioning, or maybe when we were recording, you were saying just the caliber of team members that you have at source and the experiences that they come from traditional pharmaceuticals and big beverage. And again, I see what's happening in cannabis as a natural progression that other industries experience, yet everybody is like up in arms over what's gonna happen to cannabis. And because you represent Can, I know they've been very public, at least from some of the clips I've heard about sharing a lot of our market is now hemp derived. And I remember having them on the podcast a couple of years ago. And, and I, remember, again, I think teasing it out, oh, hemp derived and hemp stuff. And people were like, no, we're good. We got the real stuff. That's child's play. And now recognizing and seeing this opportunity that we have and so I just, I want your take on what you are seeing happening and because I, you were just at the, I'm going to butcher it again, but the beverage cannabis conference, Cannabis, cannabis yeah. drinks Expo. Thank you. They just have one in SF. They have one in Chicago. I've heard some mixed opinions on where this is all going. And because yep. you're in the center of it, I'm just curious how you're feeling about it. What Where you see we're going to get some sort of reconciliation and, and what that's going to look like for the future of cannabis beverages.
0: I always make the bad dad joke of if anyone has a crystal ball or is in the crystal ball business, please meet me after the show, because that's definitely definitely something I said in Chicago, because I think we're all wondering and there's a lot of opinions as to what is going to happen, particularly with the farm bill being revised at the end of this year. We've heard whispers that they're going to delay making any changes for a year. We've heard that they're going to shut it all down on the hemp side. We've heard they're going to meet us in the middle. We've heard they're going to do nothing. Like we've heard all sorts of different things. And I've said this to you before, I don't envy regulators because this is a, cannabis is a complicated plant. There are many ways to consume it. There is no, in many ways we draw parallels between the alcohol space and cannabis, but it's much more complicated than that. And I think we'd all agree, like you said, regulation is only bad when it's done poorly. Ultimately, all of us want this regulated because at the end of the day, we all care about the consumer having a safe experience. That's always number one. Regardless of regulatory stuff, we need to self-regulate to make sure that products are getting in the hands of the right people and that they're made safely. So that's ultimately number one. And I think most, I've not spoken to a single person in a cannabis beverage that doesn't want these things behind an age gate. So in terms of showing an ID and things like that, we want that. We want people to know that this is an intoxicating product if you're dealing with hemp D9. There's also the market confusion where we have hemp D9 and THC, and we have to explain why they're both getting you high after years of hemp and CBD don't get you high. It's fine. It, it does cause confusion, and we're going to have to tackle that. However, with beverage being as small a category as it is, we are leveraging the hemp D9 opportunity as a case study for this is what we've said beverage will be, what's happening in Minnesota, what's happening in Austin. This is what we've said we wanted, and it's happening, and the states aren't on fire. In fact, there's a lot of revenue being generated from this. There's some social impact. Minnesota, they're reporting that some of the breweries that really struggled during COVID were able to make back their revenue from adding these SKUs and having a different offering. Restaurants are reporting more desserts and appetizers being ordered, which is going back to the the classic munchies. Conversation. There's a lot of benefits that are coming from this from an economic and social standpoint, not just the fact that cannabis is now legal or cannabis is accessible. Ultimately, the future for beverage, where I think we see a good next step. And this next step might be years from now because we do need to go through a lot of regulatory hurdles and work with groups to see this through. But we would like to see the low dose products in a similar environment to where you see white claws and Bud lights and seltzers and all of that, the high dose stuff, especially if it's geared towards more of a medical consumer, I think sh- should exist somewhere else and be maybe more in a pharmacy section, even though it's a beverage. It can still taste good. We don't have to make medicine taste bad. We can differentiate there or put it behind a locked case like you have the hard alcohol. What, let's work together and mimic that. But again, I think it also depends. There are going to be products that are always going to be geared towards medical consumers versus recreational. And I think while a lot of us do end up realizing, okay, I'm consuming this product. It's helping me relax. Is that medicinal or recreational? There's still very much a blurred line, but I think ultimately it's how you're using the product that defines if it's recreational or medicinal. In that moment, you can be using something for medicinal purpose versus recreational. It can, it's situational in my opinion. I think we'll see beverages. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. All of that, Bever- low dose beverages and liquor stores. I'd love to see them at convenience stores. As long as there's an age gate, I think the high dose products will stay in the traditional rec dispensary channel. Potentially pharmacies one day or locked in a case again. Over, not saying it should be over the counter and or locked up behind the pharmacist, but definitely something where you can find it a little bit more conveniently than looking for at your dispensary. But I think particularly for beverage, the big thing is we're looking at mass adoption for beverage, not being from the existing cannabis consumer. If it's not accessible and it's not easy for them, it's an additional hurdle and a big hurdle. If you're not everyone, no, no human likes to be uncomfortable. So even though dispensaries are not scary necessarily to go to and if you don't know what questions to ask, I'm a perfect example of that. I walked in there. I left with $300 worth of stuff I didn't know how to use. I didn't even walk out of there with a grinder and I left with flour. I didn't know I needed it. I had no idea what I was doing. So it's sending someone like my parents in who have found relief from some of these products. It's, I can't imagine my mother asking, what's the difference between this and this? It, she's not comfortable in those scenarios. And I think there's oftentimes that's the biggest hurdle that we, we come with. There's so much about cannabis is complicated for someone who's new to it. That The more accessible we make it, the easier we make it for them to try it. They'll decide at the end of the day if it's for them or not. We don't need to make it more difficult for them to get a two milligram THC beverage to give it a whirl.
1: And also too, it's obviously not as much of a concern Just using your parents as an example of, I know what 10 milligrams feels like and my tolerance has increased and and it's pleasant for me, but push me into 20, 30 milligrams, I'm uncomfortable. Generally, when you're sticking to two milligrams, less than five milligrams, you have those bumper rails on, right? And so it's a little bit more easier for someone to ease into something versus it's all or nothing. It's only these high dose things. And so I think that's been a really pleasant thing we're watching happen just in the industry in general. It's this introduction of microdosing and different form factors and having that conversation to educate these consumers to figure out ultimately what they prefer, what's gonna work best for them. You were talking though a little bit about education and it's reminding me about a conversation I've been having recently And also the confusion between hemp-derived THC and THC, it's been hard because for so long we have told people that CBD and hemp are non-intoxicating, non-psychoactive, yet here you now have hemp-derived THC. I know that the consumers sometimes aren't as mature to have that conversation, and so I've certainly seen some of these products that are in the low-dose category that are now being shipped across state lines, and it's... Just, it's cannabis. There's cannabis in it. It's two milligrams of THC. You don't need to know hemp or marijuana or whatever the source is. You just need to know it's legal. You can get it. But I'm just wondering how that is playing out, not only for the consumers, because I deal with that on a day to day basis, but if you have anything to add on how consumers are navigating these conversations. But I'm more so curious how you're perceiving the industry, especially when you're going into some of these conversations where people are like, hemp can do what? How do you change the narrative or get them on board to understand? the sides of the coin that we're dealing with, because it is much bigger than I think we're even giving credit to. And it's not just THC. I've had some previous guests and come to some conclusions. There's other cannabinoids that are made this way, CBN being a major one, but people don't seem to be as upset about CBN being hemp derived or chemically derived or synthesized or whatever buzz term you want to say that it is. Um, Yet people are really up in arms about the I don't know if adulteration is the right word, but just this adaptation of THC from hemp and it's, I, I just, I appreciate your observation of it. Sure. Hey, we're learning, like this is happening. We're doing the utmost highest quality we can. We're trying to get these products out, work with regulators, also self-regulate ourselves. But the industry is having this kind of almost yep. inbreed fight going on. And I'm just wondering how you... Yeah, there's a couple of things. D9 is D9. So rec- two milligrams of hemp D9
0: and two milligrams of cannabis derived D9. And guess what? You're high or you're on your way to getting high if you're consuming these products. Yeah, chemically, structurally,
1: it's the same, right?
0: Structurally, it's the same. How you get there is obviously the the origin, if you will, is the story point. But for consumers, and this is what I've said to like my family who's trying to get understanding there, I'm like, if you see Delta 9 or THC on a product, that's Mm -hmm. going to be intoxicating for you. So if you're worried about being able to differentiate between the two, there will be an indicator on the product that says that this is THC or Delta 9. So if you see Delta 9, And you don't want to get a little high. You're really just looking for CBD. Look for something that just says hemp extract and just take a look at the product and see how it's being promoted. It is causing confusion. I think ultimately this is going to be a a hurdle we'll have to take on later. But we definitely, when I look at Can or Happy and a number of these brands that started in the rec space and then went into the Hempty 9, you'll see a little note, depending on where you are located, you will receive either a cannabis-derived THC beverage or a hemp-derived THC beverage, so you will have the same effect. That's a very easy way for a consumer to be like, oh, okay, so it doesn't matter where it's coming from in this instance because I'm getting the effect I'm asking for. I think that's a very simple way. I think cannabis sometimes, we have a trust issue in this space because we're so new and consumers have so many questions and people have had some negative experiences with cannabis in the past. So we almost feel like we have to be overly transparent. You get too technical with a consumer and it scares them. You're dealing with a legacy consumer that might be different because they've done, they've made their own brownies, they've made their own stuff. Like they know what they're dealing with a little bit better. But with the Canna Curious, which is where the low-dose beverages typically are targeting, too much information and they're just like, you know what, never mind. And I think ultimately we need to self-regulate ourselves on how much we're sharing. And Oh, oh here's a point. COA. They're like, what? What do I do? We don't want to look at that. My, my dad is a nerd. He doesn't want to look at a COA either. But just straight up one of those things where it's, we want to make it as simple as possible for people to make, feel comfortable, but also know what they're getting. There's also the synthetic versus naturally derived hemp D9. And there's, they're very different in terms of cost if you're buying these raw materials for your product but it, will, it may also play a role when it comes to the farm bill being revised. So synthetic delta-9 is being converted from CBD. There's a process that goes involved. I feel like the word synthetic when you're talking about a plant is always a little icky. However, it, it doesn't mean that the product is less safe for the consumer to consume. There are also naturally derived hemp 9 uh, raw material, and that would be a ton of biomass being distilled down until the delta-9 is all that's left. And Both of those options are being used in products available today. The naturally derived one, the idea is that if the FDA or any regulatory body were to draw a line in the sand on the hemp D9 and the legalities of it, that the line could be drawn at synthetic versus naturally derived, which um, allows these products to still be produced, but might be cost prohibitive for some groups. Um, However, I will say, especially with the legacy consumers, people as well as people in the industry, The farther you get away from the natural plant, the less passionate people tend to be. And I think someone said it really well with the Cannabis Drinks Expo. Whenever we're working to get farther away from what the plant originated as, we should be second guessing or questioning, do we need to do this? Do we need to go this far? Because the farther you get away from the farmers and the the hemp plants and the cannabis plants and how they're being grown and created, the farther we we go into just having synthetic products that most of the people in this space uh, feel like they're butting heads with big pharma, the closer you get to big pharma. Correct. So I think that there's an interesting debate internally. I completely understand products that were created, whether it's beverage or not. In the legal rec market, it's expensive. There are hurdles. There's a lot of tracing you need to do. It's a lot and it's expensive to work in those markets. So launching in one of those markets And then having a hemp D nine loophole or workaround, if you will, be created. um, I'm sure can be frustrating. Yeah, there are opportunities for those brands to also jump on board. Can did it? There's a number of other brands looking to do it as well. But I think everyone who's cautious about jumping into the hemp D nine, because again, that's an additional investment as well. I understand because we don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict what regulators will do. Looking at New York, didn't know that was coming. So I think being hesitant is. It's a good thing. It's just weighing out like your risk and reward and looking at your own personal situation when it comes to your brand and your company. Can you afford to wait six months and figure out if this is a route you should take? Or is this something where if we don't act now, our market is being diminished because of the direct-to-consumer hemp D9 opportunity? So it's a tough spot. What I will say is because beverage is so small, we are 1% of the legal rec market. This is bringing attention to beverage. we get to show what's going on in Minnesota, the fact that the brewers got on board and use that case study to show that beverage has the potential we've always said. I feel every year you hear, this is the year for beverage. And every year it's like, not. this is not necessarily the year for beverage, but we are having a moment. Yes. And I think we're able to capitalize on that a lot. So you actually see a lot more collaboration on the beverage side when it comes to the cannabis and hemp denying conversation than you probably do when you see gummies. Just because there are so many gummies, they're more socially accepted at this point for the cannabis furious as well. People know they exist. I still answer the question, what's a cannabis beverage? And I have to be like, let's start here. It's a beverage. <laughs> That's number two, it has cannabis in it. And you feel good. Um, <laughs> but it's just because people don't know they exist. But I will say, now that I'm in Virginia, in a market that goes wreck next year and is very new to cannabis as a whole and still has D.A.R.E., I'm amazed at how many people recognize when I'm drinking a can. Is that cannabis drink? I've been looking at that. They've got lots of questions and it turns into a little sales pitch. Oh, let me show you this beverage. And it's very Vanna White of me. But that's the best opportunity anyone has to share a product that they love or a category that they love with someone. So I take full advantage of that here. But it's brands like Can and other marketing efforts that have led to those people even knowing they exist, because why would they? They don't have dispensaries here with rec beverages. Rec beverages aren't even something that will be on the market until next year here. There's a lot of good things that are coming from the Hempty Nine beverage side in particular. So it's exciting. And I think everyone at the Chicago Cannabis Drinks Expo really felt that excitement because you had a number of brands from Minnesota and brands from other markets being able to sample their products. And it was really exciting. So I get where there's some headbutting, but on the beverage side, there's been a lot of support because a win for one brand just shows the opportunity for another.
1: Yeah, I think you said that so beautifully and not that it's, again, I always try to just present topics and conversation pieces and not try to be more allegiant to one side or the other. Yes, I do live in Texas, so our market is skewed more towards hemp drive, but I will agree that I think beverages is the bridge that the industry needs to have this conversation. And it's not that, again, this is the right way to go about it. But again, to your point in the way that you spoke about it, what can we learn from this? How can we take the right steps forward while also giving ourselves an opportunity to really lean into it for however we got here? It's happening. It's here. And so how can we be a part of it? You were also talking about something that I thought was really interesting around the I guess the more we get away from the plant, there's still some tension around that. Obviously, when it comes to edibles, a really big topic. In fact, one of my recent episodes was just talking about live resin, rosin. They're very buzzy. I I haven't really seen it get implemented into beverages. And so I'm curious if that's something that you're seeing, how you're attacking it. I guess a way that I'm viewing to attack it would be you make your own full spectrum. So I'm seeing people are adding in CBN to their beverages. Mm -hmm. They're doing a combination of CBD, THC, terpenes, other cannabinoids, obviously adaptogenics. There's other things that you can introduce into the beverage to get beyond just the distillate kind of profile. I think that has been an interesting conversation independently in and of itself, where people are, oh, shame on this hemp D9. It's just an isolated cannabinoid. And I'm like, what the fuck have people been doing in these markets with distillate gummies all these years? That's an isolated cannabinoid too. So Mm -hmm. if the argument is it's not full spectrum, I don't really buy that argument because again, there's products on the market with very large brand names behind it that are explicitly selling distillate. But I see where we're trying to move towards more of a full plant, full effects, whatever. I just wonder how it's being applied from a beverage perspective. We're
0: definitely seeing an interest in people adding things like live rosin. And then you got to talk about what's the definition of live rosin, what's the effect you're looking to do when for there's sure. all that. We're marketers.
1: Yeah, it's just a buzzword. It's a label claim that you're 1% in there and call it an a day. Or exactly. is it adding value to the, the drink or the effect the person's feeling? I get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about who's your target
0: consumer and what are they looking for and differentiating your product. There are a lot of... Beverages on the market. Each market's different though. So you don't see all the same beverages in each market. So I feel like we're hearing a lot more focus on live rosin and things like that in the legal rec markets where it's being tracked by the state. On the d 9 side, we're actually, from what I'm seeing, with the exception of a handful that have added other low dose minor cannabinoids that have very mainstream appeal, like CBN for sleep, you hear that all the time, THCB for the metabolism those cannabinoids that don't need and CBD. And I think people are comforted when they see CBD included in something that's also got THC in it. I think that was a brilliant move by can to put that to make it more approachable. So I think, you know, we are seeing those mixes. Um, but it again, it's going after who is your target consumer and what are they really interested in? I do, like I said, I love the full plant. I think that the entourage effect is real, but I think there's many ways you can achieve it, whether you're adding isolated cannabinoids together, creating your own custom blend, working with terpenes. There's many ways that you can build that. And many can be, you yes, you're still going to work in a formulation lab. It's not going to feel like you're just muddling up some cannabis and throwing it in to be super uber natural. And no one drink the wheatgrass shots at Jamba Juice because they didn't taste good. People are honest. At the end of the day, it's got to taste good and that's what they're going to want. Even if the medicinal, or I shouldn't say medicinal, but like, some of the benefits they see in marketing are on there and they're like, okay, great. If it doesn't taste good, they're not coming back, uh, especially if it's not a shot, because a shot is at least a one and done. But if you give someone 12 ounces of something that doesn't taste good, they don't care how healthy it is. They're not doing it unless it's absolutely for medicinal purposes. But it's, that's something that people need to take into account before when they're formulating. Is it really necessary? Because you are going to have to go, you're going to need multiple suppliers. You're going to need all sorts of different things. So it does also complicate the back end for brands. And I will say, at least in the data from what I've seen, I haven't seen anything that I feel really goes, oh, you definitely need to go this live rosin route. Like I'm not seeing any product moving so rapidly where I'm like, okay, you're missing, we're missing a big chunk here. I think there's still very much people doing some trial and error on the innovation side, which I think is definitely important. I don't want us to have beverage go stagnant with beverages that are moving because they're high dose and cheap on the West Coast. Let's come up with some more functional beverages that whether they're high dose or low dose, and let's incorporate other pieces of the plant. I think that's a key differentiator we're going to see a lot more of. And we're already seeing it happen. We're seeing a lot on the East Coast, people adding I'm blanking on the name and I feel terrible, but Sarah Patel just launched a brand in in Massachusetts that has a number of cannabinoids in it for low-dose consumers. And I think that's going to be the next wave we see when it comes to the low-dose beverages in other markets.
1: Mm, Very exciting. Very interesting information you've been sharing. Again, my brain is just like, where are we going from here? And at the end of the day, I'm just happy to be a consumer of it and to be able to see these products on my shelves locally and don't know if it's for a, a season or a, a semester or years, but I'm very excited to see the continued efforts from the brands, as well as working with these regulators and policymakers to implement the best program for us to all succeed as an industry, really truthfully. We're almost at time. I do love to end my episodes though by having my guest talk about the high notes. Let's end on a high note. Yeah. I know we were chatting about some of the work that CBA, Cannabis Beverage Association is doing. So this is really an opportunity just to touch on what you're most looking forward to. What are some fun things in the pipeline that are coming out? So whatever comes to mind.
0: Yeah, we have a lot moving with the CBA. We have obviously a lot of regulatory focuses, but right now our probably hottest campaign, if you will, is on the marketing side. So last year I registered the day, August 20th, 820 as National Drink Cannabis Day. I, I did this in an effort to bring attention to beverage in particular and the differences between consuming a beverage versus a traditional edible. This year, because we actually got lead time this year where we could do something with it, we partnered with the Cannabis Media Council to make it part of a, an extension of their I'm High Right Now campaign, which got national attention and was featured in Ad Week and a number of other uh, publications. They're The message behind that particular campaign was your life is going to look the same. You're going to do the same activities. You're going to do the same passions that you've always had, but it's going to feel better. You're going to feel better while you're doing them because you've implemented cannabis in some fashion. So the idea was really to make consumers curious in particular, feel more comfortable about approaching cannabis and finding a product that works for them. We felt as well as the Cannabis Media Council that that. Beverage really fit that narrative because it just blends so easily into your daily activities. When we wake up to start with a beverage before we go to bed, the last thing we have is probably a beverage. These are things we need to function. To live, you need water. So ultimately, we felt beverage was a really safe and approachable way to extend that campaign. So we will be launching some assets for the I'm High Right Now 820 edition this week, and they will be available for download on the Cannabis Beverage Association website. The idea is for everyone to be able to participate. We want this to be a very inclusive collaboration. So other associations, other media groups, retailers, distributors, anyone who's touching the cannabis beverage sector, we want them to get involved as well as consumers. So we created some fun social media assets some stickers and filters and things like that for Instagram. So you can show us your 820. Um, 820, because a lot of people ask about where the number came from, it is from the molecular structure of H2O. So H2O, when we're working with cannabis and source and with other uh, emulsion technologies, you're trying to make it water soluble so that it can evenly blend and create that desired experience in the beverage. And water is the number one ingredient in a ready-to-drink beverage at any time. Wanted to work that in and work with the H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So you have 820, plus it sounds like 420. So I just felt like it was a nice sister to the 420 and 710 relationship. So we're having fun with that. We'll have more assets available so people can participate, but obviously people can reach out to me as well. Anyone who tags the Cannabis Beverage Association and their posts, we will share. Uh, Again, this is all about bringing category awareness to beverage.
1: That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.2bbluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at 2bbluntpod and at The Shaded Tarabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadaturabicom slash blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes follow along on Instagram at the shada turabi